In today's episode of Trouble with the Snap, we will be breaking down rivalry weekend in college football, giving our analysis over a few games. Then after that, we will take a look at how our locks of the week did. And finally, we have quite a few discussion posts that we will hop into to close out the show. Let's roll the intro. Nick Saban, and in 2003, the Tigers captured the BCS. Michigan State Stalin wants Dixon and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable! Alright everybody, welcome back to Trouble with the Snap. As always, I'm Will, joined by my five-star colleague up in Austin, Texas, Mr. Colton Deutsch. Colton, how are we doing on this fine Tuesday evening, sir? We're doing pretty well, just kind of recovering from the Thanksgiving break. That was some much-needed rest, in my opinion, and now we're just jumping back into school and hoping to close out pretty strong with finals. How about yourself? Same thing. I'm uh, just kind of working my way back into school a little bit before finals and all that. Uh, I got a pretty busy final schedule, so I certainly have some work that I need to do between now and the end of the semester. But other than that, I'm chilling. Feels good to uh, be back at College Station for about another week or two and just ready to, ready to go home and go home once again for winter break. You all have a full month off. So we our finals end here at AM on December twelfth, and I think we get back like January fifteenth or something. So that's like a full month and three days. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I believe we do. Yeah, I think we might have around a full month. I think we do actually. I should I probably figure that one out. Winter break but... is awesome. Um, of course, with college basketball, then getting into full swing and conference play starting as soon as you get back. Um, and then of course, once you get back, baseball season's right around the corner. So. I know we're a college football show, but at the end of the day, we're both college college students who just love our our school's athletics. So we got a lot of things to look forward to. Man, I'm really looking forward to the soccer team this year. So. Oh, are you? I'm fired up about it. <laughs> well, kind of random, but Colton, I did just see about a day or two ago that AM's volleyball team got paired up with Texas, and they're playing AM and Texas will square off in women's volleyball in round one of the NCAA tournament. Do you have any quick insight into that game? Uh, I know UT won the national title last year. Uh, I don't know much other than that. Is that in Austin? Yes. I think that's a Horns W, man. I don't know, Colton. We uh, we got a first-year head coach, Coach Jamie. I can't think of his last name right now, but uh, we're, we're making our first tournament appearance, uh, our first one in four seasons, I believe. So, I don't know. The girls are feeling pretty good. They're, feel, they're you know – that catching fire, heating up at the right time. So anything's possible. We might run the table. You never know. Who's your favorite player? Um, man, that's a really good question. I, I'll have to get back to you on that one. See, I actually have a favorite. Like, I know some of the UT players. Do you really? Uh, I know the libero. And uh, <laughs> the libero. <laughs> yeah, I okay. do. And um, you know, might have uh, slid into some Instagram DMs. Uh, might not have been successful, but. I respect the shot. She probably didn't see it. She's probably in the shower or something. So. Yeah, she's busy. 
I understand. Yeah, it's she's, okay. She was probably at the library doing homework. I think her phone's been probably broken for like a year now. So yeah, it happens. It's okay. To answer your question, uh, I think Texas sweeps, brings out the brooms. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I admire that confidence. However, I, I will never, whenever AM goes up against Texas, I'll never choose Texas. No offense. It's just kind of like a personal thing for me. And I, I feel like you probably understand where I'm coming from on that. I guess we'll have to see. We'll have to get back to the listeners on this one. Of course. Maybe uh, I'll go to the game. You should. I don't, I don't know what the date is, but I can certainly let you know once we're finished with this uh, recording this episode. I've actually been to one game before. They're actually a lot of fun. Really? I mean, because they just spike it in people's faces. It's pretty crazy. They <laughs> dive everywhere. It's fun. Haven't gone back to one, but so it's a good time. I've never been to a college volleyball game, but I went to one when we were in high school. We um, were so good. Yeah, that was so much fun to watch. Um, it really was because like the energy, uh, the energy in Alkek was just it was nuts. Um, so yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. I can only imagine uh, what college is like. I guess you're gonna have to find out. You'll come up for the game. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, anyways, I think that's enough volleyball talk. After all, we are a football show. <laughs> um, Colton, if you don't mind, would you like to dive into our first game of the slate? Yeah, let's talk about the game. Michigan wins three straight over Ohio State, thirty to twenty-four. Here, this was a game that, I mean, super physical. I think as as we we would have all expected, Michigan got out to. Uh, a pretty early lead. They're up 77 at one point, and I kind of thought they were just going to run away with the game. Uh, Ohio State really kind of seemed to find something there and ended up uh, tying up the game. But it just kind of felt like uh, every time J.J. McCarthy was asked to throw, he made a big-time throw. And Kyle McCord, unfortunately, in the big moment, just didn't really seem to have it. I mean, Marvin Harrison is still a stud, and having Trayvon Henderson back was a really big deal. But, uh, I mean, it just yeah, it just kind of seemed like it was going to be a battle of which quarterback was going to step up more. And... That happened to be J.J. McCarthy, and Michigan's defense stepped up, and the Wolverines found a way to win and improved 12-0. Yeah, this game was a ton of fun to watch. Um, you know, whenever you think, at least in my opinion, when I think of the Big Ten, um, I think of just, like, the Iowas and, like, the Indianas of the world, whatnot, just those, like, 10-3 slugfests that everyone kind of dreads watching. But that certainly was not the case here on Saturday. Uh, of course, a little bit on the lower scoring end, as we've seen. You know, if, you, if you've gotten used to watching the Pac-12, you obviously – you know, a 30 to 24 game like this, you'd probably think like, what the hell was wrong? Uh, but this is just cl- classic and quintessential Big Ten football. Um, as Colton was saying, JJ McCarthy himself for Michigan just did a, a great job. Um, you know, he was 16 of 20 through the air, 148 yards and a touchdown with a QBR of 94 and a half. So that's a pretty damn good stat line against the number two team in the country and especially against your most uh, hated rival um, for your school and program. Um Anyways, in this game, though, um, you know, Colton and I were discussing this game before we recorded this episode, um, or excuse me, before the game was played out on Saturday, and we ultimately just decided that and thought that it would come down to who was just the better QB, and without a doubt, that was J.J. McCarthy on Saturday. However, I will certainly give credit to Ohio State. As Colton mentioned a moment ago, they they certainly made it um, a much closer game than it probably could have been for Michigan. Um, you know, Maserati Marv had a touchdown there kind of late to, to really close, uh, close that gap. But ultimately it was, um, Kyle McCord who threw the game ceiling pick on a chance to tie the game. Um, or excuse me, a chance to go on a game tying, if not game winning drive in the fourth quarter. So all in all great win for Michigan. I, this is what I was thinking was going to happen. And, um, yeah, the Wolverines are 12 and 0 and 
they take care of business against Iowa this upcoming week in the uh, Big Ten Championship, there's no doubt in my mind and pretty much anyone else's mind around the country that the Wolverines will make another appearance in the playoff. Yeah, Michigan certainly felt like the better team. Real quick before we move on, what did you think about that pick uh, play in the end zone that was kind of debatable between a touchdown and an interception? I don't really have much to say about that, to be honest with you, just because I, I can't say I, I, I've seen the clip probably enough times as I should. Um, so actually, to be completely honest with you, I don't want to just throw some bogus take out there. Um, so I don't, I don't really have much to say about that just because I haven't seen it probably as much as I should, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty close. I mean, I crazy. If that's anywhere else in the field, that's a clear interception for uh, Ohio State. I think it's just kind of tough because the Roy on the field originally was a touchdown, so it's kind of hard to overturn. But definitely a game-changing play. But yeah, I, th- I think Michigan kind of just felt better throughout the whole game. Uh, going to my favorite rivalry game, actually, you have the Egg Bowl. Ole Miss grinds out a win against Mississippi State in Stark Vegas, 17-7. Yeah, this game was low scoring uh, pretty much the entire time. And then uh, Mississippi State put up a pretty good fight there, but uh, they really just weren't able to finish drives at all or really move the ball well at all. And there are even a couple times where on fourth downs, I mean, Lane Kevin, who's normally uber aggressive, kind of decided to just punt it away and trust his defense. And Quinchin Judkins with some nasty stiff arms, and just some hard running, was able to get it done. Jackson Dart as well took a pretty big shot and was able to hang in there and keep it going for Ole Miss. And, yeah, they were able to uh, capture the egg, 17-7, and improve to 10-2. and two. Tulane takes down UTSA, 29-16. to 16. Uh, This game started off pretty rough for the Roadrunners. Frank Harris had a couple quick turnovers, and they weren't ever really too uh, – weren't really – able to ever recover fully from that even in a game where michael pratt did not play great he was still able to punch it in a couple times and makai hughes had a huge game on the ground and Tulane is able to find a way to get to 11 and 1 and with a win over smu this weekend they are in pretty good position to make a new year six game for the second year in a row and you got a big time big 10 matchup there with iowa finishing the year 10 and 2 they beat nebraska 13 to 10 in lincoln the typical Iowa game, well, actually, I mean, Iowa was able to score uh, a touchdown in the first half, which was pretty crazy to see. But typical Deegan Hill stat line, 11 of 20 for 94 yards and a pick. Um, and, yeah, I mean, this game, uh, it was honestly quintessential Nebraska where they are able to pick off Iowa pretty close to midfield with – under a minute left, and Nebraska still finds a way to lose the game in overtime because Chupa Purdy threw a pick right to an Iowa defender. And then Iowa had a new kicker in the game who had not kicked a ball all season long, and he, he ended up nailing the kick and another heartbreaking loss for Nebraska, and Iowa wins 10 games. Will, you have any insights from uh, the Hawkeyes? Yeah, dude, I'm I'm pumped for Iowa. You know, 10-2, and two, crazy momentum. I love Iowa. Crazy momentum going into this big-time championship matchup against Michigan. Um, I got the Hawkeyes by 90 in that game. Uh, I was going to say 94. But. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, um, I think, Colton, you, you just touched on pretty much all the highs and uh, analysis points of this game. I just, I just pretty much just put my name down next to it to talk about it just because it's the Hawkeyes are just fun to talk about, in my opinion. Um, no matter how good or how bad their offense may be, um, you know, they, this team still finds ways to win. Um, and I feel like th- this team is like the living embodiment of, of Dan Campbell's like intro press conference with the Detroit Lions. He's like, you knock me down, we come back up, we're biting the kneecap off. You knock me down, you knock me down again, and we come back up, we're biting the other kneecap off, things like that. Um, this team is just gritty. They have a ton of heart. 
Um, and clearly they are a damn good football team, at least defensively. Um, as for the offense, that is obviously a still big old question mark. But all in all, this team just, no matter how much scrutiny and how much criticism they take uh, week after week, they just find ways to get it done. And um, yeah, shout out to the Hawkeyes, man. I'm really looking forward to that Michigan game on Saturday. No, I mean, I'm fully with you. I mean, I think uh, I think we're both all in on the Hawkeyes. And look, I mean, I think a lot of times in college football, I think people get kind of caught up in if it's like a beauty contest and style points and all that stuff. But, you know, for Iowa, I mean, they just kind of have their brand of football and they find a way to win. I mean, it's tough if you're a bunch of college kids trying to be consistent week in, week out, and somehow Iowa finds a way to win. They don't really care how it looks. They just get it done. Like they just they roll up their sleeves, go to work, and after sixty minutes, odds are they they will come out on top. And it's just it's just their brand of football, as you were saying. But that's what we've known. And that's what we come to know and expect from the Hawkeyes in recent memory. And man, it's just it's just fun. I don't know why. It's it's just fun, for, at least for me. No, it's awesome. It's one of those things where like you can't like it's very hard to like watch one of their games, but then you kind of just have to like accept it and just. Like, appreciate the beauty of course of course it's great uh let's get to the civil war as it was once called oregon defeats oregon state uh 31 to 7 i mean jonathan smith who will mention took the michigan state job it seemed like he was kind of negotiating and talking uh with michigan state brass for much of this week and this game was never really close which is unfortunate because i do think oregon state is a pretty good team but yeah i mean pretty dominant performance from uh bo nicks there 33 40 for 367 and two touchdowns and this game was never really in doubt oregon rolls into the pac-12 title game 11 and 1 texas defeats texas tech 57 to 7 uh, this was pretty much the most complete game longhorns have played all year i've kind of voiced concerns about uh, the longhorns ability to defend any sort of a passing game particularly one with slants and crossers kind of quick passes uh, they pretty much answered the bell there uh texas tech quarterback baron morton had kind of an Iowa quarterback stat line. It was 19 of 36 for 88 yards and three picks, which is one of the worst quarterback stat lines I think I've, I've, I've ever heard. That's like really, really Iowa level. Um, and yeah, I mean, even in a game where Quinn Ewers probably gave about a B minus performance, Longhorns offense uh, and rushing game was really able to step up. And they had a pick six that bounced off a guy's shoe. Shout out to Jet Bush, straight Jesuit, and had a kick return touchdown, a pump block. So it was kind of an all around dominant win there for the Longhorns. All right, moving on. The next game we'll be talking about is the AM LSU game. Uh, LSU ultimately won this game 42-30. to As an Aggie, this is a pretty tough pill to swallow just because at one point in this game, in the second half nonetheless, um, AM was up two scores. We were up 10 at one point, I believe. And uh, as soon as we got up to 10, that was all Jaden Daniels needed to see um, in order for him to say, hell with it, I'm taking this game over. And that's exactly what he did. Um, as for Daniels, who I'm assuming will most likely be your Heisman Trophy winner come uh, coming in the next few weeks, whenever that is. Um, for the game, he was 16 to 24, 235 yards for four touchdowns, no picks, and he averaged 9.8 yards to the air per pass, which is pretty damn good. And at the same time, he was also proving just how valuable and how damn good he is, um, as he led LSU's entire rushing attack as well with 11 carries, 121 yards, and averaged 10.9 yards per carry, which is pretty just ridiculous stuff. Um, you know, I don't really have much to say for this game aside from Jaden Daniels who's just doing crazy things. Um, also, shout out real quick to um, excuse me, Malik Neighbors of LSU. I believe he leads the entire nation in touchdown and pa- touchdown receptions this year. Um, he brought in two more against AM on Saturday and looked very good. 
Um, and of course, Brian, Tom- uh, Brian Thomas Jr. brought one in as well. So shout out to those guys. Um, all in all for this game, though, um, for AM, just be glad that the season's over and that we can just, you know, new coaching staff coming in, as we'll talk about in a moment with Coach Elko from Duke. Um, so as, as for the Ags, I would just say just, you know, flush this season. Just get it behind you. Of course, you still have a bowl game. But once that once the season is truly behind you, just flush it, move forward, and just uh, fully embrace the new staff and jump in there. Um, as for LSU and Jaden Daniels, I mean, what a hell of a send-off, as much as it pains me to say. Uh, great game, obviously. As I mentioned a moment ago, LSU had to come back down from 10 points, and clearly that was no problem against AM's defense. Um, so yeah, Jaden Daniels, hats off to you on, on what I'm assuming will be your final season of, of college football. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping ultimately he, he can cap off this special season with the Heisman trophy at the end of it. Yeah. Neighbors is so NFL. He's so good. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of crazy how LSU just has this lab that pumps out just constant NFL, uh, NFL caliber wide receivers. Which is funny because not even like six or seven years ago, LSU was so bad offensively and they were extremely like behind on the kind of the modern passing game. And that's clearly no longer the case when you have Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and you know, dudes like Malik Neighbors who are just coming right through the pipeline. Um, they got something going down there in Baton Rouge really well. Yeah, they really need to work on their defense though. That's a good point. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, let's look at a big game of the playoff implications. Florida State takes down Florida in the Swamp, 24-15. First game starting for Tate Roadmaker, who I didn't think was great by any means, but at least he didn't turn the ball over. And they were really able to kind of rely on the the running game with Trey Benson, earning some hard yards there. Uh, I want to touch on Florida, though, because they had this game. They were up 12 to nothing. Place was electric. Would have been a big win for Billy Napier. They called a double pass, and they had a lot of momentum, which did not work. And, I mean, look, they had a freshman quarterback starting, too, and Max Brown as Graham Mertz was out. And uh, he threw a pick, had a couple fumbles that he didn't necessarily lose, but still not great. And, yeah, it just kind of seemed like this Florida team kind of just fell apart, and they're extremely undisciplined. They had a player get ejected for spitting in another guy's eye. And then they targeted uh, Roadmaker when he slid about five yards short of the first down marker when they had a chance to go win the game or to, to get the ball back and try and win the game. So it's pretty undisciplined performance there for the Gators. And I think that they kind of let a golden opportunity slip through their hands and now they will not even be going bowling. But nonetheless, Florida State survives. Oklahoma State takes down BYU in double overtime, 40 to 34. Second week in a row where they're like Oklahoma State was going to throw away their entire conference championship hopes. They were down 24 to six credit to BYU though. Uh, they do start Jake Retzlaff. Uh, otherwise known as BYU, the first Jewish quarterback in BYU history. He actually calls himself that, by the way. Uh, And they've actually been a lot better and kind of a little bit more scrappier ever since they kind of turned to him. Uh, But yeah, Oklahoma State kind of came all the way back, ended up having an extra point block that made their lead only three points. BYU nailed a long kick at the gun. Then you go to double overtime. Ollie Gordon had five touchdowns, and Oklahoma State forced a strip at the end of the game. Um and the Pokes find themselves in the Big 12 Championship game to play Texas uh, this coming weekend. And yeah, rest in peace to Pac-12 after dark, the last regular season game in Pac-12 history. Cal and Jade not destroy UCLA 33-7, and yeah, just kind of sad to not have those Pac-12 games going on anymore. really won't be the same, especially with UCLA and Cal going to different conferences, but UCLA is keeping around Chip Kelly, which was not going to be the case a couple weeks ago. 
Yeah, just um, as much craziness and madness that the Pac-12 has brought in recent memory, it's kind of sad that it went out on such a blowout like this. But at the end of the day, um, no matter what the score would have been, I was going to watch that game from start to finish regardless just because of it was the last Pac-12 after dark game we'll probably have ever, uh, unfortunately, which is really sad to say. But yeah, as Colton mentioned just a moment ago, Cal ultimately won this game 33-7. As someone who watched this game from start to finish, UCLA was never in this from the get-go. You know, they trotted out Dante Moore, um, true freshman Dante Moore. And, you know, he threw for 266 yards, but he had more picks and he did touchdown passes and he had a QBR good of 17.3. So that is just not a solid showing by the true freshman. All in all for Cal, though, they they looked really great. You know, they were forcing turnovers and just wreaking havoc on defense. Uh, they were flying to the football all, all over the place, and ultimately they were able to bottle up UCLA's offensive attack and keep them to just seven points, especially on the road. That's really impressive. Um, but all in all, the the main message of this game is that the Pac-12 is Pac-12 after dark, at least, is no more. No matter how much that pains me to say, it, it's the truth, and it sucks. So thank you, Pac-12, for all the memories and making my childhood it you know, midnight every Saturday in the fall. It was, it was, it was a great run. Another Pac-12 game we should hit on real quick. Washington sneaks away from Washington State in the Apple Cup, twenty-four to twenty-one. Cam Ward and Washington State came to play. This game was tight for the entirety of the game, and Washington was backed up at their own twenty-nine of fourth and one, and they had an absolutely gutsy play call a reverse to Roma Dunsey, and they got the Huskies down the field for a game-winning field goal. So Washington really keeps just finding, finding ways to win. And, uh, yeah, let's jump into the Iron Bowl, arguably the best rivalry in college football. Alabama wins 27-24 to in dramatic fashion. I mean, I think the Iron Bowl really is only truly great when it is on the plains. Something about Jordan-Hare just makes games crazy. And, look, credit to Hugh Freeze and Auburn. They had a great game plan being able to kind of scheme up some really awesome run plays for Jarquez Hunter and Damari Alston. And look, I mean, really a big issue with Auburn this year is not having good quarterback play. They got Payne throwing a wide open touchdown, but besides that, he was 5 of 16 from 91 yards, a touchdown and two picks. So very rough game for him. But Auburn had this game. I mean, they got to be kicking themselves. They muffed a punt when they were up by four with a few minutes left. Uh, Just the returner completely slipped and fell, fumbled the ball. And I mean, eventually, after some pretty poor plays from Alabama, Alabama faced a fourth and goal at the Auburn 31-yard line. And uh, Jalen Milrow has an incredible throw to Isaiah Bond in the back of the end zone, who um, makes the catch in Alabama in miraculous fashion, kind of wins the game. They kind of get their own miracle or prayer at Jordan Hare. But, um, I mean, I don't know. Well, I have some thoughts on this defensive play call uh, here for the Tigers. Do you want to touch on it, or do you want me to just roll through it? Um, I mean, the main thing I'll touch on real quick is just this, as I've talked about it several times throughout the season, um, I just want to give uh, some love and praise to Jalen Milrow and just his development and his growth. It feels like he's truly taken that step forward this year, taking that leap that we knew that he was capable of going into the season. Obviously, as we all know, Alabama didn't start out too hot by any means, uh, any means necessary uh, through the first few weeks. But after that, they just continued to just get stronger and stronger and better and better. And the main catalyst for that was the play of Jalen Milrow. And the kid uh, this past Saturday against Auburn stepped up once again. 
Uh, you know, he had 259 yards in the air for two touchdowns, and he also rushed for 107 on the ground. So, I mean, he he did a ton of uh, of work on Saturday. So, I just I just want to give that kid a shout out. It's not because not because he went to Tompkins my senior year with me, but um, yeah, he's just his growth has been a lot of fun to watch, and I, he certainly has developed into one of the best uh, quarterbacks in the conference. Yeah, no, he's incredible. Uh, I mean, yeah, his improvement has been really 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 fun to see this year but yeah on this on this fourth and 31 essentially uh auburn is kind of in a prevent defensive sorts uh which which i think is fair and i do want to say like look i mean sometimes the other team makes a play like good offense is always going to be good defense most of the time offense always kind of has an advantage there um but it wasn't really simply the uh really the defensive play call it was that Auburn rushed two guys and they had one guy playing as a quarterback spy, which to me is just not very smart considering that there's no way that Jalen Milrow runs 31 yards for a touchdown. Any other spot on the field, I totally get it. Any other situation, yes, have a quarterback spy because Milrow can just go. But with eight guys in the end zone, I mean, Jalen Milrow could be a mix of Cam Newton, Vince Young, and God, and he's not scoring. I mean, there's no, I mean, if he runs 30 yards, you win the game. Like, because you have eight guys in the end zone, someone is going to tackle him. So I didn't really understand that. And to be honest, well, I mean, Moro could still be standing back there if he wanted to. He had all day. And to his credit, he found a guy open, great play by him and Isaiah Bond. Uh, I mean, he put it to where only his receiver could go up and get it. Bond made a good play. But I mean, I think there's just, I mean, they basically played with 10 players, Auburn did. So I don't know if you saw the SEC shorts that came out about a day or two ago. Um, they did this this type of skit where they were like the, like the college football gods and they had a hotline they were answering to. Um, it's a really funny, funny uh, episode that they did. But um, anyways, part, part of the show um, was they, they had um, – they said they had like Nick Saban like calling up for like help saying like he you know we need a touchdown like right here right now like we need a miracle um <laughs> and they're like I don't know we'll see so on and so forth they kind of granted you the miracle with that muff punt things like that um <laughs> and one of uh one of the parts of the show or the, or the uh one of the parts of their of their skit is they had a TV in front of them and they were watching that drop back with Milrow and the, the announcer during, during their hypothetical play was like, Oh, like this band receiver, like dropped down to tie his shoe and he's doing this. And Oh my God, like this, that, so on and so forth. And it reached the point where one of the football gods in their skit said, hell with it. I'm pushing the button to give him the miracle. <laughs> and when he pushed the button, um, that's when Milrow threw the ball to Isaiah Bond. I don't know. It's just kind of off topic, but I thought that was hilarious. Um, but yeah, no, anyways, as for that defensive coverage, you know, Auburn obviously is coming out in a prevent, which I totally understand. No questions asked. But obviously the number one thing that we got to look at, as you just talked about a moment ago, is that QB spy. Why? Like, just why was that a good idea? I mean, I get it. As you were saying a moment ago, any other spot on the field, any other scenario, yes, a QB spy, you got to have one on essentially every play when you're playing a quarterback who's like Lamar Jackson built like Derrick Henry. Like, it's, it's just common sense. But in that situation with that little time left on the clock, and we all know that, it was pretty much just like the Hail Mary formation. That's all that they could do at that point in the game. Um, a QB spy is just not not the move. Um, and clearly, they got cooked a little bit on it. But at the same time, Isaiah Bond himself just 
made a hell of a catch and Milrow made a hell of a throw to put it right in that spot in the end zone. So, you know, I, I as much as I want to like just truly bash the Auburn defense and completely blame them for this, at the same time, you got to give a ton of credit to Milrow and Bond for Milrow putting the ball, uh, putting the ball in that specific spot in the back left corner of the end zone, and Isaiah Bond having enough concentration and focus to bring that thing in with the game on the line. Um, but man, just what a, what a crazy ending to the Iron Bowl, like. As, as you were saying a moment ago, uh, the Iron Bulls and Jordan Hare seems like those are the ones that always have the most chaos, and clearly that proved to be true once again on Saturday. No, it was, I mean, it was another just fantastic iteration of the Iron Bull. It's just never uh, Yeah, I think with that, that'll kind of wrap up most of our uh, recap. Will, since you're the king of locks of the week, do you want to lead us in? Of course, this is this is kind of my own little segment here. I'm going to start having the locks of the week on – I'm going to start ha- – uh, having the locks of the week brought to you by Will Shemansky because I'm just feeling that confident about myself. Um, yeah, I mean, you should. I'll have my own little sponsorship on our show. <laughs> um, anyways, so this week, as like last week, I went one and one in my locks of the week. I know, boo-hoo. Um, so I'll start with the bad news and I'll end with the good news. Uh, the bad news is uh, my one miss that I had. I had Oregon State plus 13.5 to Oregon. Uh, clearly this one did not cash because Oregon state was only able to put up seven points throughout 60 minutes of football. Um, pretty brutal. I, I thought that with, um, you know, with, with, um, how well the bees played against Washington, I realized that game was in Corvallis, but seeing how that was just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whatnot, I, I certainly thought that they, uh, had some momentum going in, especially to their, uh, big rivalry game against, against Oregon, that that momentum would carry over. And that was just not the case. Um, so yeah, my, my Oregon state plus 13 and a half versus Oregon did miss. However, um, man, my next, my next lock of the week, which is the one that hit, uh, I had Missouri minus seven and a half versus Arkansas in Fayetteville. I don't know what it is. I mean, obviously Missouri is just a damn good team, but they kind of feel like free money in these past few weeks. Um, they've just, just done so well. I mean, of course, aside from them, uh, aside from them winning games, like you know, as we always say, good teams win, great teams cover, and uh, Missouri's just been doing a damn good job these past few weeks. But anyways, Missouri minus seven and a half in Fayetteville. That was without a doubt the easiest bet that I had. As Missouri just completely curb stomped Arkansas, and um, yeah, the Tigers look great. Only have two losses on the season, ten wins. Um, that seemed like a no brainer for me. So that's my locks of the week that I had. That's how they did. Uh, Colton, how did you do this week? Yeah, so we're still not back to the uh, 2-0 and locks of the week that we kind of had really, really early in the season, but we were able to nail Hawaii plus 5.5. They actually beat Colorado State at home 27-24 on a last-second jailbreak field goal, which was kind of a questionable coaching move that they were even in that spot, but Hawaii is able to pull through for me. Utah minus 22 against Colorado without Shadur Sanders was not able to cover uh, the minus 22 spread, and they actually only won by six points. So got the game uh, winner right, but not the score, uh, you know, not the spread once again. So we're going to have to hope the conference championship week is going to be one that treats me well. And uh, like, I, like every week, I'm feeling pretty confident that next week is, is the week for that one. Uh, but I think with that, that'll wrap up our locks of the week. Uh, Will, there was a pretty big, coaching move here uh, a team that actually wears maroon i think you know what i'm talking about mississippi state uh, they hired jeff levy oklahoma offensive coordinator uh i thought this was a pretty good move 
I mean, Lebby's done some good things with uh, with the Sooner offense. They do a really kind of a up-tempo veer and shoot type of deal there. And I think Mississippi State has gotten pretty accustomed to throwing the ball around the field, but not, but not necessarily moving as fast uh, as this Jeff Lebby offense does. The air raid was kind of a different move there. So we'll see what kind of reset Lebby can do there in Starkville. I'm curious to see what kind of staff he's able to put together. Uh, and yeah, Jonathan Smith gets hired away from Oregon State. His alma mater goes to Michigan State. Uh, Smith has always kind of been on the West Coast, but he just found a way to win at Oregon State, which is pretty impressive. It's not an easy job, and I think he'll do some good things uh, for the Spartans. And uh, yeah, Will, do you have any insight on this or any other coaching moves? Um, not very, not very much. Uh, I will say I, I certainly do like the, uh, both of these hires. Um, as you just said a moment ago, uh, Jonathan Smith going to Michigan State. He's been a damn good coach. He's proven that he can win in a pretty tough spot, a uh, pretty tough job in Oregon State. So that will certainly bode pretty well for the fans um, up in Michigan State. And as for Jeff Levy, this is a very intriguing hire for me. I really like it. Um, I remember when they first announced it. It actually happened the day that I, I believe Anim announced Mike Elko to College Station. Um so it may not have necessarily had, I guess, as many headlines, at least in my world, at least. Um, but anyways, nevertheless, I really do like this hire, and I feel like uh, Mississippi State, they play their best football uh, when they have an offensive-minded head coach, and that's exactly what they got in Jeff Levy. Um, he's coming over from Oklahoma. Of course, there will uh, no one will ever truly be able to fill the shoes of the Pirates, swing your sword. Um, but I certainly, I certainly do like this hire of Jeff Levy, and it'll be – very interesting interesting to see what he can do next fall in his first season in Starkville. Um, as for the other coaching hire, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, Mike Elko, of course, has been named the next head coach here at Texas A&M. Uh, for those of you that don't know or just haven't really been following college football too closely, Mike Elko served as the defensive coordinator here for, at A&M from 2018 to 2021, I believe is when it was. Um, either way, he his... Uh, he ran the defense on that orange bowl winning team for AM back in 2020. So certainly uh, he is without a doubt, a welcomed person here in college station. Um, my opinion on this, I really do like the hire. Of course um, this hire hiring process, especially over this past weekend did not go nowhere near as smooth as it probably could have been with the whole Mark Stoops thing. That's a story for another time. Um, but anyways, I am very happy that AM was able to hire a great coach in Mike Elko. Um, I think he's exactly what we need here for the time being at the AM program. You know, um, there are a lot of people out on social media and Aggie fans alike who are like, oh, we got to have, a, you know, a quote unquote grand slam and just splash hire. Um, clearly, Mike Elko is not a splash hire. I mean, if you, a splash hire would be someone like Dabo Sweeney, Ryan Day, people like that. Um, and, you know, we made, a, we made a splash hire last time with Jimbo and that clearly didn't work out. Um, so I think Mike Elko truly is exactly what we need here in Aggieland for the time being. Um, you know, just a, a, a tough blue collar mentality head coach um, who's not afraid to roll up his sleeves and get the job done. And personally, as an Aggie, I absolutely love knowing that that man is in charge of my football program. Uh, it'll be very fun to see what he can do going forward. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that he made the jump from Raleigh to College Station once again. Yeah, it was definitely a pretty eventful weekend there, uh, which does kind of bring up some larger concerns. I do think that AM either needs a new AD or they really need to kind of get things kind of in line there. I uh, vote especially for a new AD personally. 
Yeah, I mean, to me, that was just kind of crazy to think that it could kind of collapse like that. And whether it was whether it was Ross Bjork kind of going out and doing his own thing, that was just that was just kind of wild to me, considering uh, you know, kind of just like how how important uh, this move was. So I definitely think that they kind of need to get things straight on there. But yeah, I mean, I think Mike Elko was a guy that people had kind of rumored there for for you know quite a while. Like you mentioned, I mean, it's pretty key that he was able to. Uh, be there previously he kind of understands what it's like and has seen success being in college station he's obviously a great defensive coordinator so you kind of feel like you have that side of the ball um you know like kind of kind of short up there i think with any uh with any coaching hire it's really important to see what type of staff he kind of puts around him especially on the offensive side of the ball with him being more of a defensive guy but yeah, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I mean, I think it kind of shows uh, that even if you have a, a really good job, there's just not that many coaches out there. I mean, you even look at a spot like Florida a few years back. I, mean, I think people would consider Florida a really good job. They had to dip into you know the Sun Belt to get a coach. So, I mean, for Anand to be able to get a Power Five guy, um, I think it's I think it's a pretty good uh, good good you know s- a snag there, considering that guys like Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer, Ryan Day didn't really seem to be super realistic candidates. Uh, I do want to ask you a question though. One thing uh, that I've that I've kind of seen, uh, or just that I've just like, kind of been thinking about, was that uh, kind of seems like one of the positives there with Elko is that he's going to be able to keep a lot of the guys on the roster. And uh, I definitely do understand the type of talent uh, that is on the roster right now, considering how good that 2022 recruiting class is. And uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but kind of my view on it the last couple of years is that there's not been great culture at at AM. And so I guess. Personally, just just from the outside, like if that's true, I would have wanted more of kind of like a full reset. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and especially now, um, ever since Jimbo has been fired, the longer and longer uh, it's been since that day, uh, the more and more things come out. And I read an article, I believe last week from The Athletic, talking about kind of the, the unknown things as to Jimbo's time here at AM. And when it comes down to that number one recruiting class of all time that AM had, I believe it was 2022, it was that cycle. Um, I read that Jimbo reached a point where he truly obsessed about getting the most five stars possible. And it reached the point where he actually like contacted someone at 247 or 24-7, however you say it. Um, the people who do the class rankings, he contacted someone there and asked them um, how to work the recruiting calculator to see how he could get the best class possible. Um, and I also read something that said, regardless of, you know, glaring character flaws and all these five stars, he didn't care. He was going to take them. Um, and clearly that's the case with guys like Chris Marshall, uh, Denver Harris, people like that smoke buoy guys, guys who are well, you know, left after their first season here in Aggieland. Um, so when Jimbo was here, it felt like when he first got here, there was definitely a lot more culture than there was when he left. Um, you know, you look at just how good that team was in 2020. They finished off 9-1, ranked top five in the country with an Orange Bowl victory under their belt. Like, yeah, you got to have some pretty damn good culture in that locker room to be able to have those kind of kind of results. You don't just necessarily blindly walk into them. Um, but pretty much ever since then, a and went 8-4 se- uh, and four the next year. And then, of course, 5-7 uh, and seven in, uh, the year after. And then this year, we we're wrapping up 7-5. and five. Um so to ultimately answer your question, yes, there has been a ton of culture issues here from things I've read, seen, and just all the above. Um, but that's the thing is that uh, that's what someone like Mike Elko will bring to the table is that just work mentality. Like where 
not no we're not individuals anymore even in, in today's day and age of nil transfer portal things like that we are still we're not individuals we are um, we're one team and if one if one piece fails or if one person doesn't do their job and the whole team suffers things like that um, and so I think that um, that's something that Mike Elko will truly be able to instill in this AM team is um, just to eliminate that individual kind of mindset just get everything done together um, and that's really exciting and certainly considering what we're replacing him with that is incredibly refreshing to hear yeah, no, I mean, you should be excited. I mean, I'm uh, I'm curious too. I think we'll probably touch on it more uh, when a lot of staff changes and additions um, are kind of being made. Uh, Bobby Petrino is also going back to Arkansas, which is hilarious. But just the memes itself is just, oh my gosh, I that's one of the best pictures ever. <laughs> but no motorcycle is safe in Fayetteville. Yeah, no, I mean it's, uh, I mean that's just so college football. But yeah, look, I mean. It'll, it'll be interesting now. He's at a big-time, big-time job as the head man. But, look, I mean, he won games at Duke, which is not easy to do. So I'm pumped for I think, I, I'm really excited. Yeah, I mean, and having a new coach, it's always fun. Of course, no uh, question. You know, it's always easy uh, you know, to get super bought in like you should. But uh, kind of keeping on the whole uh, A&M path there, uh, there is a date set. Uh, November 30th, 2024 will be uh, the return of the Texas-Texas A&M series. Uh, in College Station. So, uh, I mean, for me personally, I've never actually been uh, to, uh, was this called the Lone Star Showdown? That's what it used to be called. I, I've I, never been. I'm assuming um, that name will still continue over once we start playing again. Yeah, probably so. So, uh, I've never actually been uh, to one of them. I was kind of too young to even remember many games. But uh, I think just kind of growing up, uh, it's been kind of weird, just kind of, at least from a Texas side, like you always know about OU and like you play them every year and it's always just kind of weird to have another big school in your state that you obviously don't like, but you don't ever really play them. So it's just kind of a weird, weird little cold war there. So it'll definitely, uh, will definitely be fun um, to get to college station uh, for that game and to get that series going again. For sure. Um, that's the thing with this game. I believe when it's played again for the first time in, um, next season it will end a 12-year hiatus i believe it's been 12 years um so what i'm what i'm trying to say though is that there's been a ton of stuff that has gone on uh, between the last game and the next game um and the thing that that kind of sucks is um you know as we know before we were born like when our dads were our age and you know when our grandpas were our age now things like that this game was a mainstay in the schedule every year um, and so both when it was still a mainstay, you know, AM fans truly just grew to, you know, hate Texas that much more and Texas fans just grew to hate AM that much more, so on and so forth. Um, but over these past 12 years, you know, that, that hasn't been there. Like, of course, as an Aggie, I can tell you right now, like, you know, like, I, you know, I, I, I hate Texas quote unquote, cause it's my rival and things like that. And I'm sure you feel the same about me, but at the same time, with them not playing football, it's kind of hard for me to look over y'all sometimes and be like, Oh, I, like I hate these guys, you know? Um, it, but I know like talking to my dad and, you know, other longhorns and things like that is like the hate between those, uh, that generation that, you know, witnessed the game happening every year, so on and so forth. And not just football, but just other athletics and the other sports themselves. Um, like, yeah, the hatred between uh, A&M and Texas and that generation is absolutely still there. No questions asked. But that's the thing is that with the game now coming back, 
I'm really curious to see if that hatred will, you know, rush back in immediately to our generation and things like that. And um, I don't know. I, I, I think you kind of see what kind of track I'm on right now by, by saying this, but um, it, it, it'll, it'll just be really nice to finally have all these debates from like Twitter and Instagram and pretty much all behind phone screens and keyboards truly be settled once again on the field. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I fully agree. And it's, you're always competing for recruits and you've played it, uh, you know, like kind of in other sports before during this hiatus. So it'll definitely be fun to have it back on the football schedule, uh, along with a lot of other SEC games that Texas uh, is adding. I know we, uh, we have Georgia, Florida, Arkansas too. It should be a lot of fun next year. I agree with that point you made a moment ago. Um, you said it, it like it's just weird to have like an like another major school in your state that you haven't played in so long. I mean, for for God's sakes, we both sing about each other in our fight songs. Like, why haven't we played between now and then? Like, it's just it's just weird. But um, I guess ultimately, I'm just really glad that it's back, and I can't wait till next fall. Yeah, no, I mean it's kind of like the same thing. It's like you know, I mean, it's like I always kind of know what's going on with AM just because I'm a college football fan. But it's also kind of like, well, their games don't really. I mean, they. Like, y'all's games only affect Texas in terms of, like, recruiting. It's not like we actually play each other. So, yeah, it's been kind of a weird – I don't know, kind of a weird thing. Uh, but it'll be kind of cool for us to, uh, in college, get to experience, uh, you know, one of these games. So I'm excited about it. Absolutely. Uh, but that's next year. Let's keep it on track for this year before we close this episode out. Uh, we had the penultimate uh, release of the college football rankings uh, before the final selection show next Sunday. So your top four is Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. Your five, six, and seven is Oregon, Ohio State, Texas, and Alabama, Missouri, Penn State round out uh, the top ten there. Um, kind of some thoughts. I mean, I think obviously Georgia stays at one, right? Michigan beats Ohio State, so they deserve to be up there at two. Washington, Florida State at three and four. I don't really have a problem with. Um, I've mentioned how I have an issue with Oregon being ahead of Texas uh, and I really have a problem with Ohio State being over Texas um, because I think it's kind of dumb because I think that it's going to take – I think if it comes down to it, if it's a 12-1 and Texas and 11-1 Ohio State, the committee's going to put in 12-1 and Texas, so I don't really understand why they are ahead of the Longhorns. But um, nonetheless, uh, I mean, I kind of just want some consistency, but I do think it's all going to work out here. Um, I think – you can correct me if uh, if you have a different opinion, but the way I, I the way I kind of see it shaping out is, uh, I think I think Michigan is going to beat Iowa, and so the Wolverines are going to be in. I think the winner of Washington and Oregon is definitely in. Uh, I think if Georgia beats Bama, Georgia's in, which I think is going to happen. And then uh, the last spot, I think if Florida State wins, they're in, and if they lose and Texas wins. Then Texas uh, is in, and if Florida State loses, Texas loses, maybe Ohio State or Bama could find their way in there. But that's kind of just how I see it uh, shaking out. No, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, there are uh, obviously a ton of implications riding into this upcoming weekend, no questions asked. Um, however, from this point, uh, in regards to Texas and Alabama, you know, Texas being seven, Bama being eight, in the history of the college football playoff, the farthest spot back out of the top four that someone has been going into the final rankings and make it has been number six. So um, there has never been a number seven team or a number eight team 
and these uh, the previous rankings before the final ones that have jumped all the way up to make it. So that'll be very interesting to see uh, how this plays out. As for Texas or Bama, I think the ultimate way for them to really make it competitive and uh, truly compete for that number four spot will be with the Florida State loss, obviously. Um, but if Florida State is able to take care of business and win that game, um, then I think that the top four will be pretty much set. Because as good as Bama has been, I still think Georgia will do Georgia things. Um, Michigan, as much as we love Iowa, as we talked about earlier in the show, as a realist, there's no way that they lose that game. Um, as for Washington at number three, you know, this is pretty much flip-flop in my opinion. Um, whoever wins that game will, you know, uh, go to three. So if Oregon beats Washington, Oregon would go to three, Washington to five, things like that. Or if Washington wins, it'll stay where it is now. Uh, so the last hope, in my opinion, for the Longhorns and the uh, the Crimson Tide is for a Florida State loss. Um, it's definitely possible because, uh, you know, Louisville's playing damn good football. They have all this entire year, although they're coming off a regular season loss to in-state rival Kentucky. So that's a little bit tough. But, you know, you never know. College football is one of the craziest sports ever created. So anything's possible. Um but as the way I see it right now, that's the only way, in, in my opinion, at least, that Texas and Bama, um, from where they are now, have a shot to make it to the Final Four. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I do think that uh, – I think that there's still a clear path there for Texas, so I don't really think it matters. I think if Texas handles business and Florida State loses, the Longhorns have a really good shot. I just think it's still kind of dumb that Ohio State – and frankly, Oregon are ahead of them, but Ohio State, I think, is the one that's just really stupid. I just don't really understand. The committee just doesn't really have any semblance of consistency, so they never it's a bit have. frustrating, um, but yeah, that's what it's been like forever. And what I was explaining to you before we started recording is when Aiden was in a very similar situation where Texas is now back in 2020, um, you know, of course, that was the COVID season, and the Big Ten like played half the amount of games that the SEC did that year. Um, and yet, the committee just loves Ohio State that much. They were they got they got in that playoff that year as a three spot, uh, and they played half the amount of games as the SEC um, SEC teams did. So I certainly understand your frustration when it comes to playoff rankings in Ohio State. Um, I don't know. The committee, they, they claim that they make their choices off of who the four best true teams are in college football. But as we know with them, that's never really the case. It's pretty much um, just who they ultimately think will mat probably match up best, I guess. Because um, even though Texas and Bama may be, without a doubt, one of the best teams in the country, there's, there's still a certain reality where they don't make it. And that's clearly what the committee believes in right now. Um but I was telling you this earlier as well. The thing that the committee takes into account, aside from you know strength of schedule and head-to-head -head records, whatnot, is uh, something you can't measure on paper, and that's the eye test. And the eye test is one of the most crushing, quote-unquote, analytics that they will refer back to when choosing teams for the playoff, because the eye test is it's it's subject to opinion. I mean, you know, just because I think a certain team looks like looks phenomenal doesn't mean that you think that or the next guy does, so on and so forth. So th that that is without a doubt one of the most frustrating things that we all know they truly take into account, uh, regardless of stats. Is just how they look in uniform and just you know just how they look. Period. And it's it's incredibly frustrating. But I I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, I mean it's just weird because I know we talked about it earlier, but 
Uh, I mean, even on the show, uh, Reese Davis is uh, interviewing his name, Boo Corrigan. He's the head of the committee and he's talking about Texas and Oregon. And he's like, well, you have Oregon ahead of Texas and they have the same record, but Texas has a much better strength of schedule. They have a better win and they're one common opponent. Um, Texas won by 50 points and Oregon won by, by eight. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And, and he goes on to thing about how Bo Nix has a really good completion percentage this year. And, and like, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I just don't really understand what, what the committee is, is really looking at. But thankfully this is kind of the last year of this. And I think with 12 teams, it'll probably become uh, a lot clearer. And obviously Texas and Alabama have to win their games on Saturday for this evening to be a uh, true discussion. But uh, yeah, I think that's all I have on that. Unless you have anything else. Well, just last little thing before we close out the show. Um, I think the thing that the committee is probably looking at most in regards to the, the Texas ranking right now is who that one loss came to. So you look at Oregon, they took one loss on the road and a game-winning field goal to Washington. And then you look at Ohio State, they took their first loss of the year against Michigan uh, where they had it you know, by six, where they had a chance to ultimately come back and win the game. I'm, I'm not saying that, um, that Texas certainly in the Cotton Bowl had it, uh, was got absolutely blown out. That clearly wasn't the case. But when you look at uh, where Washington is now in the top ten and you look at where oh, uh, Michigan is in the top ten, um, I, I guess that's probably what they see to maybe justify ranking them ahead of Texas just because Oklahoma's not even in the top ten right now and Washington and Michigan are two and three in the rankings regarding uh, Oregon and Ohio State's losses. So I think that's probably the best justification that they have for these rankings. But at the end of the day, they still are a bit head-scratching, kind of like what you are just explaining a moment ago. Yeah, I mean, I still just feel like your win – I mean, Texas has a much better best win than Ohio State and uh, Ohio State and um, – what's it called? Oregon do? Um, and, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. I mean, OU hasn't looked great, obviously, since uh, the Cotton Bowl, but they're still a tenant, too. I think the committee has them at 12, so it's certainly not like they lost some terrible team, but – yeah, either way, um, there's still a path there, and Longhorns have to do their part Saturday morning uh, for this evening to be a discussion. Just take care of business. That's all you uh, take care of business on Saturday against the Pokes. That's all you really can do up to this point. Yep. What can I say? Yep. All right. Well, that is pretty much everything we have to discuss. I realize that this episode is a little bit longer than probably the other ones, but hell, we had a lot of things to talk about. Um, with all that being said, though, uh, we thank you very much for listening to this episode of Trouble with the Snap. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, things like that, uh, you know where to reach us on social media. Also, I'm not sure I've ever mentioned this before, or if I have, I forgot. Um, we have a website now, by the way. We had one for the entirety of, um, of the, our podcast, dating back to August. Um, it's not much, but it gives you a little bit of a preview, just things you can you have any questions or anything like that about the show or curious about anything. Um, certainly you can pull it up. It's, um, the link to it is in, um, our Instagram and Twitter bio. So if you're ever curious, uh, feel free to check it out. Um, I just felt like throwing that in there, but, uh, as I said, that will just about do it. We thank you very much for listening and we will talk to y'all in the next episode when we preview the conference championship slate. Thank you all.